some of you are taking loans on words. <laughs> you know what? You feeling bold? Shout some out. Who'd you pick? Who are some of the things? Yeah. You would meet the dinosaurs. I don't know if the dinosaurs would constitute people, but we would meet the dinosaurs and have deep, enriching conversations. Fantastic. Who would you meet? Kobe Bryant. We've got a Kobe Bryant fan up here. And I heard a Hitler come out as well. That would be a fascinating conversation. Who else would you meet? Peter Marshall. All right. Wait a Someone remembers things I talk about, and even in like two weeks' time. Fantastic. What do we got? Christopher Columbus, we had back here. Anyone else going off on some divergent paths? No one will admit it. All right. Unequivocally, without a doubt, mine is the Apostle John. And you go, that might be cheating. No, it's not. It's not Jesus. John isn't Jesus. I would go back unequivocally. I would want to meet the Apostle John. I'd want to meet him. I'd want to talk to him about so many things. What was it like actually following him. These stories that we have in the Bible, are they accurate? You know, how did this book we have, the Bible, really get put together? Because you were there and you saw it and you witnessed it. What did his voice sound like? What ticked Jesus off? What did he like to eat? What did his breath smell like in the morning? <laughs> what was it like to be there with him? And what was it like trying to follow him? Not in a way that we talk about today, following him in our hearts, conducting the course of our lives from afar, but what was it like to really be covered in the dust of that rabbi, following him and walking with him and learning from him? What was it like to face the challenges you faced? I have always been fascinated by the Apostle John. I think the fascination came when I was in middle school and started reading this book in the Bible called Revelation which is some next level weird all over it. And anyone who writes a book like that, I've got to meet. I've always had this fascination for what it was like to be the last living apostle because that's who John was. He was the last apostle, the last of an age, the end of an era. When all those who were eyewitnesses with him were long since killed and buried, it was John, solo, still leading the way, alive and sharing the message of who Jesus is. I want to sit down and talk to a guy like that and learn from him. What is it that a guy like that would choose to say when he is at the end of his life? and knows that with his passing, the eyewitnesses are no more. What does a guy like that choose to leave behind as his legacy? What does he want to impress on us? What does he say and write, knowing that this will set the trajectory for millennia of believers and Jesus seekers and followers to come? I want to go back and I want to meet a guy like that. 
I want to hear his stories. I want to see what his life was like. And not just the facts out here. I want to hear about the struggles of the heart, the, the struggles of the mind, the conviction of the soul. I want to hear about what it was that churned inside him, that caused him to drop those nets and follow Jesus in an instant when he got the call. I want to learn about the Apostle John. And all of this school year, what we are doing is going to take you on a journey a journey through what the last apostle had to say at the end of his life. John is responsible for five of the books that we find in the New Testament. He wrote this crazy book at the end of the Bible called Revelation, this picture of Jesus unlike anything else you will see. And at 9 o'clock on Sundays, we're going through a Bible study in this room where I'm going to help you journey through that book. We invite you to come and be a part of that. But here at our 10 o'clock worship, we are going through his flagship work, the gospel according to John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four biographies of Jesus that you will find in the New Testament. And John's is unique. Oh, it's got his thumbprint all over it. There's something special. There's something different. And throughout the better part of this year, we're going to go through and see what he has to say, the testimony he chooses to leave of what it was like to be a disciple of Jesus in his day. And in our day, he wrote some letters so boringly named 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Editors need to do better. Letters to Christians like you and me, helping us navigate what are the basics of the faith. What's the important stuff? When you get down to it, what's the stuff that matters and how do we actually do it good, rich? poignant kind of things. We're going to journey through this collection of what this last apostle has to say. And what I want to do this morning is I just want to tell you about him. We call him John. Others would call him Sean or Johan or Juan or maybe even Ivan. It's all the same kind of language. Named after a freedom fighter in the second century B.C., a guerrilla warrior who stood against the empire of his day and in his family tree. When Jesus met him on that lake, he was fishing, learning the family trade. There alongside his dad. Many speculate probably not in a survival base, but actually running a company. Someone who is poised, someone who is connected, someone in a family that, while not opulently wealthy, was finding, shall we say, middle-class success as we would define it here today. He was there in a boat with his older brother. Contrary to what you've seen in liturgical art or stained-glass windows, John was probably 15 when Jesus shows up on the shore of Galilee that morning and sees him fishing and says, hey, come follow me. And I want to know what goes on inside a guy like that when he sees the rabbi calling. Jesus is calling me? He was known as Jesus' beloved disciple, the one who Jesus loved. Talk about being born in a bad sign for the other 11, right? 
He had a special connection with Jesus, a special relationship, maybe because he was the kid. Who knows? But Jesus kind of took John under his wing in an extra special kind of way at that picture when Jesus is about to die at the Last Supper. It's John who is sitting there next to Jesus, kind of curled in close, chatting, laughing, poking fun, stealing food off his plate. I want to know what it was like to be there. Jesus gives him a nickname, a son of thunder. Ain't that great? Like if you're going to get a nickname from Jesus, there's some really bad ones that really go around. But man, to be called a son of thunder, there was fire in this kid's gut. He and his brother were passing through a Samaritan village. They saw how, how these people were treating Jesus and it filled them with anger because Jesus was his friend. He said, Lord, let me call down fire from heaven. He believed he could. Because I guess when you follow Jesus that closely, you start to believe things. He believed he could. Lord, let me call down fire from heaven. And, and Jesus does what, like, you know, the older mentor, okay, take a breath, John. Take a breath. Take a breath, you son of thunder. You know what I mean? He saw a fire in him, an attitude in him. There was something about him. John was one of those inner three. He got to see Jesus revealed in all his glory, just that glimpse up on that mountainside when Jesus was transfigured. It was John who knew the high priest and got to follow Jesus with his arrest. He was there. He was there in that courtyard witnessing everything go down. It was John who got to see the miracles, got to see them firsthand. It was John who was there in that room when Jesus raised that little girl from the dead. He witnessed Jesus putting his hands on other people, watching the blind regain sight, seeing the crippled start to walk. He was there when they had to feed the multitude with just a couple pieces of bread and a couple crumbs of fish. He was there. He saw, he heard firsthand what it sounded like for Jesus to deliver the Sermon on the Mount, not to read it, but to be there in real time with the inflection. The move, the crowd's reaction. He heard the parables. He stood in confusion. He stood there at the cross when Jesus was pinned up. He was entrusted with Jesus' mom. John, I'm not going to be here anymore. Take care of her for me. And brought her into his home. He heard the news when Jesus was resurrected. And out ran Peter to the tomb. Had to get that one written down. John is loved, Peter is slow. And he went in and he was there and he saw that open tomb. He saw that slab. He saw that burial cloth. And, and he says he believed. He was there and he saw the risen Jesus face to face. He heard the instruction. He, he got breathed on by Jesus. The breath thing did matter earlier. Received the Holy Spirit and had him pour it on him. He learned what it was like to follow Jesus. John became a legend. Because as every other apostle and eyewitness of Jesus was killed and died, it was John who remained. And he became legendary. 
He became so legendary in his day and shortly thereafter that, I, I kid you not on this, people started to write fan fiction about John. You can read about this and all these weird kind of things. Stuff like this. John records in the book of Revelation that he was exiled to this island called Patmos. But people started to read, like, write like a backstory, a prequel to the event, if you will. And they said that John was arrested because you kind of get arrested when you say Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not and you call the Roman Empire a beast. You know, bad things happen. And they haul him off to the Colosseum and they put a big cauldron of boiling oil in the middle and they drop John in it and he just sits there completely unscathed. And according to the fan fiction, the whole Colosseum is in awe and they all look and come to believe. What does the Roman Empire do? Send him to an island, we can't kill him. There's stories about John who later became the leader of a church in a city called Ephesus walking into what was one of the seven wonders of the world in its day, the temple of Artemis. Walking in, and as John crossed the threshold, cataclysmic earthquakes and chaos, shaking the temple to its knees. And the priests of Artemis confront him. And you know what they do? They get into a pray-off. They, they have a prayer duel to the death in which they go back and forth praying, last man standing. And according to the fan fiction, as all these, these priests of Artemis start like dropping one after another after another, like something out of Elijah, John, of course, does one better. He raises them from the dead. My favorite story is John on his travels. And he comes into this inn, and shall we say it is a less than savory establishment? You know, two stars on, you know, Travelocity here. And, and, and you know, $29.99 a night or by the hour kind of place. And he's trying to sleep. And the infestation of bees and bed, uh, fleas and bed bugs get so bad and John gets so frustrated that I quote, Thou bed bugs, would thy behave? at which point they all line up, form a line, walk out the door, and wait patiently until John leaves the next day. Crazy, weird, outlandish stuff, because this was the last apostle. And when someone becomes legendary, people start to create legends around them. The fan fiction was so rich that the rumor even began to circulate that he wouldn't die until Jesus came again. John, at the end of his life, writing this gospel that we call John, has to set the record straight. Let me read this to you now that you know the context. It's after the resurrection. Remember, Jesus has rejected, Peter has rejected Jesus. Do you remember the story? Jesus is arrested. Peter follows from a distance. John, knowing the high priest, goes on in. Peter had sworn to Jesus, even if all other fall away, I will never disown you. But there in that courtyard, when your guard is down and you're tired and you least suspect it and the public pressure is surrounding you, they began to notice him going, you are also one of them. And what did Peter say? I don't know the man. A little while later, you have to be one of them. 
I saw you with him. He's a Galilean. I don't know him, Peter said a little while later. Surely this man was with him. Listen to his accent. God damn me, he says, if I know him. And Jesus turns. And he looks Peter in the eye. And in one of the most poignant, heartbreaking passages, it just simply says, he went outside and he wept bitterly. I failed people and I've betrayed people in my day. But I wonder what it would be like to, pray, to betray Jesus in that sort of way. And then to live with the consequence that you can never make it right. That he's gone, dead, and buried. And this is where we find Peter on the scene. John is there. What is it like to witness that moment when the one you have denied walks up to you in a resurrected state. Where does a conversation like that even go? Can you imagine for a minute the shame that you would feel inside, the awkwardness? How do I look this man in the eye? And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know that I love you. Then go feed my lambs. Wait, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And he's feeling the weight of the question bored deeper and deeper. Lord, you know that I love you. Can you hear the repentance in his answer? Peter, I got you, buddy. You're with me then do what I do. I'm reinstating you, Peter. You're back in the game, Peter. What you have done might be your past, but it does not determine the destiny of your present or future. Feed my sheep. Peter, you're going to suffer. Peter, you're going to find yourself in this position again. Peter, you are going to be called on to give your life once again. And Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, well, Lord, what about him? I'm going to die, Peter says, but what about John? What about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? And now listen what John says. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive, what's that to you? You see John clearing it up, speaking into the fan fiction, starting to address some of the legends that surrounded his legendary status because this is the way that the last apostle had. And here John is at the end of his life, more like the picture you see on the screen, now an old, 
man. The year is 98 AD. We know that at minimum because the early church followers of him said that he lived into the reign of Trajan. It is at least 98 AD. And John knowing that he is near the end of his life has the responsibility as the last eyewitness of sharing what it is that will set the trajectory for knowing Jesus, for clearing the speculation, and setting the path for what Christians and seekers and curious folk like you and me have been following for 2,000 years, and above all things, what John wants you to know, to have, is this, life. Life in Jesus' name. What do you say at the end of your life? What do you pass on? John says this, I want you to have life and to have it to the full. Look at how he puts this at the end of his gospel. In summing up Jesus' ministry, in summing up his writing, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe, that you, who were not eyewitnesses, who were not there, who did not get to see with your own eyes and touch with your own hands, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. John wants you to have life, which he knows is found in Jesus Named John lived a full life. I suspect at no point in John's journey did he look back to that moment when he was a 15-year-old kid and regret the decision he made. I suspect that after a life of following Jesus and witnessing what he witnessed and experiencing what he experienced, that he had a life far fuller than what the fishing industry or any industry that someone can find themselves engaged in could have ever brought with all of its status, with all of its comfort, with all of its luxury, with all of its provision, and all of its security. I suspect that at no point did, Jesus look, did John look back at that point going, well, I wish I would have just told him no. And through my net on the other side because what John experienced with Jesus was life. What John came to experience and know that the life that we truly want, the life that we truly seek can only be found in Jesus. Many of us lead good lives, but there is a life available in Jesus that pales the goodness of life in every other way by comparison. There are many of us who live hard lives. John lived a full life too. John knew what it was like to be arrested for his belief. 
John was tortured. John was ridiculed. John was rejected by friends. John was given responsibility that I suspect John did not want to have. John was put into situations that I think John would sooner have avoided. John found himself before Roman authorities and governors. John found himself in exile. To this day, John finds himself misunderstood, slandered, blasphemed, and taken out of context. His name has been dragged through the mud. John knows what it is like to suffer. John knows what it is like to die. But even John knew that as an old and haggard man at the end of his life, that in Jesus, life was still just beginning. John, above all things, wants us to meet Jesus, to know Jesus and follow Jesus like he did. Oh, certainly we can't do it in quite the same way. But from other perspectives, we can. To give our lives to him and put our trust in him to base our lives on him and make him the rock and anchor and starting point by which we view our life and trajectory in this world. He wants us to know Jesus because he wants us to have life. And he knows that in this world, the place that you find life is squarely there in Jesus' name. And all this year, we're going to look at what this last apostle has to say what he shows us about Jesus, the invitations he makes to Jesus, the challenges that come up. And our prayer is that through this journey, you come to see Jesus, to experience Jesus, to be convicted by Jesus, to be called by Jesus, to come face to face with him and find life in all of its abundance and richness, the purpose of life and all of its meaning, there, grounded in him. Welcome to this year's journey with the Apostle John. Let's rise. I'll invite, yeah, band to come on up. And let's just pray. Let's just take a moment. Clear our own heads, still our own hearts, and pray. Lord, you, you walk this earth and became like us, facing and struggling and suffering, as we do. Lord, you walked this earth and became like us, experiencing the joys and richness and fullness of your Father's creation. Lord, you 
came to earth and became like us. Facing the struggles and temptations and doubts that we face, you came to earth and became like us. Showing us God life to the full. And your Father, by your name. Lord, I pray just for us collectively, those gathered here in this place, those who are listening. I suspect we gather in this moment from all different kinds of places. Different backgrounds and histories, but different ideas about you. Lord, for those gathered among us, deeply in love with you, nurture. Nurture this relationship, I pray, and root us. Root us and bind us and tether us to the life you bring for those who are struggling, doubting, on the margins. May we hear your voice and in your invitation challenge us, God, in our assumptions. Show us a different way. For those of us where our hearts are uninterested or have grown cold or maybe overly familiar, awaken, God, I pray. Awaken a passion, a hunger for you again. May we see you, and in seeing you, may we see life and have it to the full in your name. And all God's people prayed.